Well, again, welcome to Grace, everyone. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Pastor Jeff. I'd love to meet you, say hi to you. I'll uh, be out in the lobby afterwards. would love to shake your hand. Welcome, everybody, watching online. Thanks for joining us as well. We are uh, at the end of a long conversation that we've been having. We're going to kind of wrap it up this weekend. And we've been talking about what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and this is way back at the beginning of the semester. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff in the news, a bunch of stuff that gets Christians slapped on it, a bunch of groups call themselves churches, and it was just noisy and frustrating. And so we just said, you know what, Let, let's take a deep dive into the Bible. Uh, let's look at what Jesus says, and let's understand what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we've been doing. We've been kind of pulling that out of God's Word here for the last semester, and we landed on this last piece of this conversation in which we said, you know, it actually means that we love differently. The, the hallmark of God's people is that we love. That's what Jesus would say. He would say that you'll know they're my disciples by their love for each other, uh, their love for me, their love for their neighbor. They'll even love their enemies. And they, these people of mine that follow me, they might disagree with you. They may not line up politically with you. We may disagree strongly even on moral issues. But in all of that, we will love each other. We will love our neighbor. We will love our enemy. And it's the hallmark. It's what my people are to be known for. So we've been having that conversation here for the last few weeks, talking about loving differently and just pressing in and, and trying to understand that. What, what did Jesus actually say? What's he actually want? How is that supposed to live out? What's it mean to love as you have been loved when Jesus commands us to do that? And, and to help us with that, we, we laid down a definition that we've been talking about. And we said, if we're to love as we've been loved, if we're to love like Christ, this is what a Christ-like love is. A Christ-like love is a self-initiated, sacrificial act that benefits another, even if undeserved or not requested. And we said, that's how Jesus loved us. He self-initiated. He came to earth. There wasn't a big global poll that said, you know, we could use a savior, right? But he, he came to earth on his own. He self-initiated. He sacrificed. He didn't get anything out of coming to the planet except being crucified. Never had a Learjet, never had a mansion, never got on TV, right? He laid his life down. By his own power, he took it up again, the Bible says, and he did it for you and I. It benefited us, not him. He did it for you and I, even though we didn't request it and we certainly didn't deserve it. The Bible says before Christ or outside of Christ, we are enemies of God in our heart. So, so we didn't deserve it, we didn't request it, but God did it for us. And the scripture would say, Jesus says, I want you guys, my followers, I want you to love people like that. You act in that same way, and you, you live that out, okay? Now, this is what's been happening. Uh, as we've been having this conversation over the, the last few weeks, I've been hanging out in the lobby, and a bunch of you have come up to me and said, in essence, this, all right? I'm paraphrasing. Jeff, I'm in. I'm in on this. I'm not arguing with the Bible. I see it. It's right there. It's crystal clear. It's not hard to find this stuff in the Bible. I'm in on loving the body of Christ. I'm in on loving my neighbor. I'll even love my enemy, right? And I'm in on it. However, I have this specific situation and this specific person and this specific place, and I don't know what to do with that. 
and you'll ask me a question that usually sounds something like this. How do I love someone when, right? I'm in, I'm not even arguing with the Bible. Like I wanna do this, but how do I love someone when? How do I love somebody when they're just irresponsible? Like how much, how, how many times do I bail them out? How do I love somebody when they're still hurting me? Like they're, they're still out to get me. How do, I, how do I actually love my enemy? This person, this way, this place. Uh, how, how do I love somebody uh, when I'm trying to protect my kids from the influences of these things? How do I love someone when the need is overwhelming? Like I, I'm all about like feeding the hungry, but like there's so many what, what do I do in this situation? I, I, I'm all in on the, on the principle. I'm all in on the command. I'm not arguing with God, but I have this specific situation, this specific person, this specific time in my life. What do I do about that? And that's what we want to talk about this weekend. I want to walk you through how to discern loving someone when you have this unique circumstance. You, you have the, these unique things surrounding your decision, your input. As a Christ follower, how do you understand that? How do you walk through it? What are you supposed to do about it? Okay, now, if you're here this weekend and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, thanks for being here and you're not alone. There's, there's many of us like that. No big deal, wonderful. Let me tell you a little something about this conversation. This conversation this weekend, I'm going to describe something and walk something through that followers of Jesus experience. And you have to be a follower of Jesus to experience what we're gonna talk about. How this is gonna help you if you're not a follower of Jesus yet is Christians are gonna make more sense to you. The way they talk and the things they do and the way they make decisions, it'll make more sense to you. But the personal experience of what we're going to talk about, the Bible would say, really only applies to people who are followers of Jesus Christ. It's not weird, it's not mystical, but it's spiritual, and it's something that we would believe the Bible teaches us is a normal part of a Christian's life, and it's part of how we see differently, how we live differently, and how we love differently because of what I'm going to describe, and it's also going to help us understand how to apply this truth or this teaching in specific situations, okay? So let's talk about this. How do I love somebody when? Let me take you to the Bible. Open your Bibles if you got them to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. Somebody will give you one if you want it. And it's page 856 in those Bibles, or all of this is on the app if you want. So 1 John chapter 3, this is what the Apostle Paul says, page 856, the Apostle John says, 1 John chapter 3, and start with verse 16. He says this, he's writing on God's behalf, he says this, this is how we know what love is, right? Verse 16 is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. So, so far, John is saying exactly what we've talked about the last few weeks, right? This is how you know what love is. Christ laid his life down for us. He went first. He self-initiated, right? And then 
You should do that for each other. Love as you've been loved. We've been talking about that. Nothing new so far. And then he goes over and he says, listen, if you see your brother or sister in need and you have material possessions that can alleviate that need, you should share those things. If you, if you see a guy in the ditch, get him out of the ditch, right? If you got to pay their hotel bill, pay it. The principle of the Good Samaritan that Jesus taught last week and just, just do those things. Hold your possessions with an open hand. And then he goes on and he says, listen, don't talk about it, do it. Don't, don't think about it, do it. Just like the apostle James said last weekend when we were reading his letter, he said, you, you say you have faith, I'll show you faith by what I do, by my deeds. So don't just be a person who theorizes about love, actually love the people around you. So, so far, so good. And it's this command or this principle that Jesus lays out that for his followers, loving like this, self-initiated sacrificial acts for the benefit of another, not deserved or requested, is the hallmark, the standard of how we love, okay? Now, that all winds up in our personal life, right? So, but my dad, right? My mom, my ex, my roommate, my friend, my parents, like what, what do I do with, with these things? How do I know how to play that stuff out? And how do I know that I'm actually at peace with God in my decisions? And, and John goes on and he kind of states this a little bit in verse 19. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. He, he's saying this, before I'm a believer, before I'm a Christian, I have no real motivation to love. What I have a motivation for is to do whatever is in my best interest. So I, I'll be, I might be generous and compassionate and kind, but if you're a jerk to me, I'm going to cut you out. If you hurt me, I'm not talking to you anymore. If you rip me off, don't come back. You made your bed, you lie in it, right? How do I know if that has happened? How do I love someone when, right? If I'm not a follower of Christ, the answer is I don't. If I am a follower of Christ, how do I know that I'm aligned with God, that I'm at peace in a given situation, and, and that I'm doing the things that God would want me to do. How do you know that? How do I know in this specific situation with this specific person at this specific time that, that my action is pleasing God? How do I know that my response is what God would want me to do? How, how in the world do you figure that out and live at peace? And so John's kind of talking about that a little bit. And, and he starts to walk us through something that is unique to Christ's followers and should be common in our interaction with him. So he says this, next verse, verse 20. He comes and he says this, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything, right? So he's saying this, there's a point in a Christian's life that my heart might condemn me. My heart, there's other ways that we would say that. It's kind of a Bible word. There's other ways that we would say that. We might say this. You might hear a Christian say this. My heart, I felt convicted in my heart. God laid something on my heart. I can't get that person off my mind. I felt led to do this. I, I know what verses 16, 17, and 18 say, I want to be at peace with God and aligned with his truth. 
and now I'm in this situation and something is happening in my heart. I feel a weight. I, I feel a conviction that there's this Bible verse that keeps like banging around in my head and in my heart. And, and I, I want to be synced up with God, but I'm not actually sure what to do to be with that. Now, for the believer, the Bible would teach us that what you're feeling or what you're experiencing is this. You are feeling the leading of or the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives. The Bible says that the minute we accept Christ as our Savior, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So sometimes you'll hear a Christian say, God lives in my heart or God lives within me. And what we're talking about is the Spirit of God. It's not weird. It's not mystical. It's just spiritual. And what happens is this. The Holy Spirit allows me in part to understand God's Word and to align myself with God. And when I get out of alignment with God, He will interact with my heart and He will, my heart will wrap me out. I'll be convicted. I'll be bothered. I'll feel led. I, I, I can't get it off my mind. Because the Holy Spirit is asking me, in essence, to enact God's Word in a specific way to a specific person at a specific time in a specific set of circumstances. Now, Jesus says this is normal. This is what he says in John 16. It's fascinating. He says this. These are his words. These are Jesus' words. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can, you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth or the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will help you. He will steer you. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what, will, what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and this is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. It's Jesus who says, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to come and guide you. He's going, we would say, lead you into all truth. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he, he uses several different ways to describe him. He talks to his disciples. It's fascinating. He says, listen, I'm with you now. He actually says this, but I have something better for you. Better than me being here, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be your helper He's going to help you live out what you know you're supposed to live out. When you look at verses 16, 17, and 18, and you say, how do I love my neighbor? What am I supposed to do with this guy in the ditch? How do I respond? God, my possessions are yours. They're with a, they're, they're, I hold them with an open hand, but should I invest them in this way? What does the Christian do? The Christian starts to listen to their heart, listens to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He guides us. He helps us. He teaches us how to apply God's Word at a specific time in a specific way so that His will, the will of Jesus, who is speaking through the Spirit, can be accomplished in our life and in the world. In fact, the Bible says this, back to 1 John. 1 John says this. He said, God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. God is working kind of in a master plan, so to say, 
and he leads his people, sometimes corporately, like in a church, sometimes individually, because he hears this prayer over here or sees this need over here. He might work in your heart here to meet it. You don't know all the math, but God knows all the math. As a Christ follower, my job is to follow the leading, respond to, walk with the Spirit of God to live out the scriptures in a specific time, specific place, a specific reason, okay? Now, that's a lot. That's like a semester of seminary right there. So let me try to put some skin on this to help you understand it a little bit, okay? Here's an example from, from our life. About 20 years ago, Heidi and I went to Brazil. Heidi is Brazilian, if you've never met her before. And so we, we've been in and out of Brazil a bunch over our married life. And so we were down there uh, visiting. Her grandmother was alive then and her cousins and stuff like that. And then we also were interacting with churches down there. So we took a team from Grace, like on a short-term trip down to Brazil and we're, we're down there for about three weeks. At the time, Heidi was pregnant with our first son. And one of the things that we did on this trip is we went to the slums of Brazil and in these slums that we were in, there was poverty kind of on levels that, that most of us have never seen or experienced. So th these slums would have no running water, no electricity. Uh, the, the water that you went to the bathroom in may be the same water that you cook with, that you drink and you do your laundry in. Just poverty on the, on the deepest levels that you can imagine. And we hung out around these slums for a while, worked with the kids, helped set up some ministries, kind of did some of the things that a short-term trip is able to, to do. We came home, and Heidi uh, gave birth to our, our oldest son. And when she gave birth to our oldest son, uh, we had decided, and she wanted to, that, that she was going to come home and not pursue her career for a while. When she did that, when she quit her job, it cut our income by 60%. So we took a 60% pay cut and added a baby. That's really bad financial planning, but that's what we did, okay? In the process of all this happening, I was in our garage one day. And as I was in our garage, I was rearranging the junk in our garage so that I could get more junk into our garage, right? Because what Americans do is we fill our garage with junk and then we park our $40,000 car outside in the weather. You know, good job, America. But that's what we do, right? So I'm rearranging the junk in my garage so that I can get more junk in my garage. As I'm rearranging the junk in my garage, I started to feel convicted about something. My heart condemned me a little bit. I had to give pause. I started to feel led. I'm looking at all the junk in our garage and I'm realizing all this junk, all this junk is more than the people in those slums in Brazil will ever time. Our garage is nicer than any home that those people in those slums will ever live in. And I started to be very, very convicted about my materialism, right? I took that conviction and God used the scriptures to convict me. I, the scriptures like, love your neighbor as yourself. If I was stuck in the slums, what would I hope somebody would do for me? Things like Paul's command to Timothy, command those who are rich to give to and care for the poor. 
uh, later on, when, when the early church set the example of selling all they had and giving it to the poor, meeting their needs. The good Samaritan, get the guy out of the ditch. All these verses started kind of coming to my heart and coming to my head, and it was driving me nuts, right? I thought about it, and I prayed about it for the, about a day or so. The, those Bible verses just kept jumping off the page at me. Right? I couldn't let it go. My heart condemned me. I felt convicted. My heart was ratting me out. God was exposing my materialism. That's the way we would describe it. I then took that thought and that conviction, and I sought wise counsel. I went to Heidi. Heidi's a very wise person. And I said, hey, babes, God is laying something on my heart. And, and I, I'm thinking that we need to do something about it. And she was great about it. She says, what are you thinking? And I said, I think we should double our giving. I think we should move from 10% to 20% and that we should invest more in the work down in Brazil. And then Heidi said, okay, like I'm with you. You know, we just lost 60%, right? (laughs) Right. She's like, I'm with you, but this is going to be tight. Let's do the math. So we sit down and we ran the numbers together And she came and said, listen, we can do this, but you have to sell your car. If you sell your car and we dump the payment, then we can double our giving and we can still like support our little family here if that's what you feel led to do. I said, I feel led to do that. We made that decision on a Saturday. On Sunday, we put the car up for sale. On Tuesday, the car sold, our Subaru sold. It sold for as much as we paid for it 18 months earlier. Sold the car, no payment, here we are. But now, I have no car. And we can't get back and forth to work. And Heidi's like, well, what are you going to do without a car? I was like, well, maybe the Lord's also leading me to like lose weight. And so I can run to work or exercise or ride my bike or something, you know? And I said, so I, I don't know, okay? So Tuesday, we sell the car. Wednesday, we figure out how to have her home. And I took the car and swapped back and forth, the the other car and swapped back and forth, all those kind of things, figured it out. On Thursday, I got a phone call in the evening from a friend at church. And he said, uh, hey, Jeff, it's so-and-so. I said, hey, man, how you doing? A little small talk. He goes, listen, he goes, I got something to say to you which is not the way you want to lead a conversation with a pastor. That's usually bad news, right? And here at Grace, if you got something to say to me, I probably got something to say to you, right? That's just the way our relationship is. So he goes, goes, hey, he goes, I got something to say to you. I said, okay, what what do you want to say? He goes, this is fascinating. He goes, I think I'm supposed to give you my truck. He goes, do you need a truck? And I was like, well, is it a four-wheel drive? What color is it? I don't know. <laughs> he, he, he goes, I kind of been like up all night. And he's like, it's driving me nuts. He goes, am I supposed to give you my truck? And I told him the whole story. And I told him how, what we had just done and how he was being God's provision in our life, right? Now, catch this. I, Heidi, we were supposed to sell our car. That doesn't mean you're supposed to sell your car. We were supposed to double our giving. That doesn't mean you're supposed to double your giving. My friend was supposed to give us his truck. If you have a newer F-150, that does mean you're supposed to give me your... Right? 
we were led, we were convicted, we were being directed, we were being guided. What God was doing in us does not mean it applied to you. But when we look at verses 16, 17, and 18, in a given time, in a given place, to a given set of people, if we had not done what we did, our heart would have condemned us. We would have looked and said, we feel like we're being sinful if we don't apply the scripture in this way. The Holy Spirit of God led us to do this. What do you do? How do you love someone when the poverty is so overwhelming that you're actually never going to get them out of it? I don't know, but I know that God said for Heidi and I, we were supposed to intervene financially for that time and that season and that place. And until we did that, our heart, my heart especially, was going to wrap me out because God was exposing my materialism. And this was his antidote to that struggle in my life. Now, that doesn't apply to you. And if you do that, doesn't mean somebody's going to call and give you a truck, right? That's the TV nonsense. But God's spirit, speaking God's word, led us to that decision. Now, that's just an example of how that works. When you are seeking to love and to play out and to live out God's word, God works like that. It's not weird. It's spiritual, okay? And what should you do when that starts to happen? Let me show you real quick, okay? If you start to feel convicted or led or impressed or guided, there's a thousand ways that we describe it. When that starts to happen, the first thing you should do is listen to that. Listen to that. Because a lot of times when the Spirit's leading us, sometimes we'll think that we just feel guilty. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not true. Because there is no condemnation in Christ. God does not guilt trip his people. He'll speak directly. He'll be direct with you. But he doesn't guilt trip you. So you, look, you sit through a conversation about loving a neighbor or getting a guy out of a ditch, and all of a sudden, a person's on your brain, and you're like, great, now I feel guilty. Got to make that feeling go away. I would say, no, 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 no. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should listen to that. Why is that person on your mind? What is God trying to teach you with it? How should you interact, right? So we, we would pay attention to that. Don't just blow it off. Don't just ignore it. But listen, maybe the Lord is leading you to a specific person in a specific way at a specific time to live out the command that you clearly understand. So listen, the second thing we should do is search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Listen, 99% of the time, the Holy Spirit's going to sound like the Bible, the Holy Spirit is not going to sound like romance. I don't know. I just think you're supposed to marry me. Well, what's your name, stalker boy? Like, it's not going to sound like romance. It's not going to sound like impulse. The Holy Spirit doesn't usually sound like impulse. The Holy Spirit usually sounds like the Bible. It's parts of the scripture that are on your heart. 
parts of the scripture that are just banging around your mind a lot. Ways that you kind of read the Bible and you've read that verse a thousand times, but now it jumps out to you for some reason. You pay attention to that and you're keying in the scripture. And then whatever you feel like the Spirit's leading you to do, press it back into scripture because the Holy Spirit will not lead you outside the bounds of scripture. I had a guy one time tell me, the Spirit of God told me to divorce my wife. I said, that's not the Spirit of God. That's you spiritually justifying what you want to do and maybe the devil himself, but it's not God because it's outside the bounds of scripture. The Spirit of God would never tell you to do that, right? So you search the scripture and you press it back in. Here's the third thing you do. We talk about this a lot here at Grace. Seek wise counsel. When God laid that on my heart, I went right to Heidi and because I, I trust her wisdom. I'm like, is it me? Am I just being, am I just on a kick, right? Because I get on kicks. And so I went right to Heidi. As she listened to me and she started to agree and she saw it in the scripture too, and she looked at me and said, I'm with you, but this is what it's going to take. So you seek wise counsel, certainly your spouse, your life group leader, a pastor, a trusted friend, one of the elders of the church, a roommate that you know that walks with God. You take that, what God is leading, that specific time, place, situation, and you take it and you run it through. Here, here's where I'm, I'm listening. This is what the Bible says. What do you think about living it out this way, okay? And then here's the last thing. After I kind of go through that grid, I act courageously. Just do it, right? Because you probably won't be able to do the math, but God knows everything, I can't really tell you. I've never felt like the Lord asked me to sell another car. So I don't know. I don't really know why. I just know that. I don't know the prayers of the kids in Brazil. I don't know what need God was meeting. I, I don't know why our, our extra 10% back then wasn't much. I don't know why he needed the, the few dozen dollars that I was, we were going to give him, right? But he, God did. God knew what was happening here. God knew that Heidi and Jeff were the answer to that. God even knew that the provision was going to be made when we needed a car. He knew it all. My job was not to know it all. My job was to listen, to search the scriptures, to seek counsel, and then to do it. And if we had not we would have felt like it was a sin. Now, it's obviously not a sin to keep your car. It's obviously not a sin if you don't double your giving. But for us, in that specific time, that specific situation, we needed to obey God. So suddenly I'm taking verse 16, 17, and 18, and I'm saying, well, what do I do? I mean, do I invite mom over for Thanksgiving? Do we bring the crazy train in? Sometimes God will lead you to that. Sometimes the answer is yes. You know what? The kids are older now. They can understand why your dad is that way, why grandpa is weird. Uh, I feel like I can let them be around him now. Now catch this, ready? Sometimes the answer is no. Look at the next verse that, that John writes. He says this, dear friends, 
if our hearts do not condemn us. Isn't that fascinating? If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything that we ask because we keep his commands and, and uh, we keep his commands and do what pleases him. There's other times that my heart does not condemn me. So sometimes you're like, do, do we invite him over? You know what? No. The kids aren't old enough to understand the circumstances this year are different, and that's why we're making these decisions. Do I give them money? Am I, should, should I give them? Because I have it. I mean, should I give it to them? Lord, it's yours anyway. What? Sometimes the answer is no. There are lots of people that ask for money that I don't give them money. There are lots of causes that are wonderful causes. We probably get 30 different things a month here at the church where people from around the country or the world are saying, will Grace Church support or will Grace Church sponsor this idea? And almost 30 for 30, we say no. They're good, they're quality, they're important, they're valuable, nobody's dishonoring God, but we're not convicted or led. How many countries are in the world and we kind of invest in a few? The needs are everywhere, but we dial into Chad and Haiti and Mexico. Why? Well, we felt convicted. We felt led. So there's times when you look and say, God, I'm totally in. I want to love my neighbor. I, my possessions are yours. I'll share them. But my heart doesn't condemn me. I don't feel led. I don't feel convicted. I don't feel like I should be doing that at all. And then there's other times where you look and say, whoa, I haven't thought about that, that friend for a decade. I haven't thought about that broken relationship for a decade. Why do I suddenly now feel like I need to go deal with that? Why do I suddenly now feel like I need to apologize or I need to make peace or I need to reach out? I, I, I have never met that person before in my life. Why do, why do I feel led to go hand them money? Right? And it's, be, it's, what's, it's what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. He's guiding us. He's helping us. I'm in, Jesus. I'm totally in. I'm not arguing with you, but I just don't always know what to do. Well, I'll help you. I'll guide you. I'll steer you through that process. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. God knows everything. That's kind of his issue, not ours. Our issue is to listen, double check it in scripture. Everything in life, double check it with the Bible. Seek wise counsel, and then whether all the math adds up or not, make the move and act courageously with it. I find the structure of this passage fascinating. So if you look at it again, the beginning of the passage, verses 16, 17, and 18, God is laying down this command, right? So he kind of starts the conversation this way. We know what love is. Christ laid his, down, his life down. We ought to lay our lives down. We share our material possessions if somebody's in need. Love, love with action and truth. It's a command. After that command is all the spirit-led stuff. And it's fascinating how John wraps the passage up. He, he says, and this is the, he goes back to the command. And this is the command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. God starts and he says, listen, this is the command. Love as you've been loved. Give as you've been given. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Share as you've been shared with. Have compassion like you've been. This is the command. 
Now, this is the playing it out. I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to help you with that. And then he goes back, and don't forget the command, right? In between the discernment of being led by the Holy Spirit is a clear directive and a clear directive. God looks and says, this is not something that I want you to be able to get away from. The reason why God gives a clear directive, latitude, and then a clear directive is because he's erasing our ability to justify not loving. Let me be clear, my people love. And here's all these unique ways that it's sometimes it's difficult. How do you love when? And let me be clear, my people love. There is never a time in this whole conversation where me withholding love is an option that's on the table. Because if I say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I understand the command, and I withhold love, my heart will wrap me out. In fact, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. If I say that I love God and I hate my brother, the love of God's not in me, that literally can't happen. I can say I love God and not sure how to love my brother in this specific time, circumstance, and place. You know what? The Holy Spirit of God will help you. But never, never can a follower of Christ say, I refuse. I'm glad I don't. I enjoy hating that person. It's impossible. If that's the case, our heart will condemn us and the love of God will not be in us. As the scripture goes on, John clarifies this even more. And he says, there's the second command, verse 23. This is the command to believe in the name of the, of the uh, to believe the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. Here it is. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. Interacting with the Holy Spirit is not weird, not for the Christ follower. It's every day. It's normal. It's an evidence of how God would interact with us and that we are truly in him. The Holy Spirit will never lead you outside the Bible, ever. Never leave you in, 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 in a contradictory way with God's word. He leads as a Christian is seeking to live out in the Bible in real time. It's not whether I will love like I was told to love. It's how in this certain circumstance at this time, this place with these people, okay? Now, as you think about this, you kind of land this whole idea there's, there's a, f a few different chairs that we probably sit in, and I think we should talk about these chairs a little bit, okay? The first chair that you might be in, that some of us might be in, is the chair of obedience, where we would look and say, I'm a follower of Christ. I know what the Bible says. It is not confusing to me, and I just am choosing not to do it. And if you're in that chair of obedience, this is what that will feel like and sound like a little bit. It, it, it usually feels like this. There's a defensiveness that comes up. Oh man, he's talking about it again. That Jeff Bogue, I can't stand that creep. He, he always talks about tithing. Always your money in your heart. And Jesus says, and ah, oh, Jeff, he, he's on it. He's talking about sexual purity again. 
marriage, confine in marriage, shouldn't be having sex outside. Oh, he's, here he goes again. Honor your father and mother. He's always preaching to the teenagers about something. And when we're struggling with obedience, that's how that sounds. I have a justification, a rationalization of why I will not do what God says. He sandwiches this whole thing in obedience. And, he, and, and God looks and says, listen, the believer, if you are a Christian and you are willfully disobeying God, you will not be at peace. Your heart will drive you nuts. In fact, he says this in another part of the Bible. If your heart doesn't drive you nuts, then you're not a follower of Christ. It's a scary thing. I, I had a friend uh, yesterday. He's been a, maybe a follower of Christ, maybe six months, maybe. And, and, he, and he came up to me. He's like, Jeff, I'm going crazy. I'm like, what's your problem? He goes, I, I, for years, I have done X, Y, and Z. I'm like, oh, that's not good. And he goes, then I accepted Jesus, and now whenever I do X, Y, and Z, I feel guilty, I feel dirty, and I can't sleep at night. I'm like, welcome to Jesus, right? <laughs> because you're being convicted of your sin. You've never been convicted of it before. Your heart is condemning you. It's ratting you out. And, and he said to me, he goes, why does God do that to me? I said, because he loves you, man. Because sin is like a cancer, and, and the more it grows, the more destructive it is, right? If you have cancer, you want to know that. The sooner, the better. So God loves us, and when we disobey him, he will not let us off the hook. It's not an act of judgment per se. It's actually an act of love. So you might be in that chair, where you know, it's not a question, like it's easy peasy, it's right there in the Bible, you know it, and you're just not, you won't do it. And that chair requires a repentance, a confession of sin. Now, the second chair is the chair of being led. So in this conversation, you might be sitting in the chair, and when I talk about being led by the Spirit, spirit a specific time, place, you like, ah, that's why I can't get that person off my mind. That's why I keep thinking about going on that mission trip. That's why I, I'm, I, I've been, it's been on my mind to invest that money. That, that's why I know it's nuts to open the crazy train up again, but that's why I keep thinking about calling her for Thanksgiving. Because the Spirit of God is leading you. And there is a person, there is a circumstance there is a time of life. There, now that the kids are gone, that's why we keep thinking we're not just going to sit on the beach, we're going to do something significant for God. See, circumstances of life change. And the Holy Spirit is leading you, and that's why it's been bugging you, and that's why you've been convicted about it. And the only way to process that is to act on it, or it becomes disobedience, see, you, whatever your version of sell the car is, if you're hearing that, pay attention to it. Push it through scripture, get wise counsel, and then do it. Act on faith. Now there's a third chair. And the third chair is this one. If you're not a follower of Jesus, remember I told you at the beginning, like I'm going to describe this stuff so now weird Christians maybe make a little bit more sense to you, right? Because so, it's, a, it's a Christ follower thing. It's not weird, right? It, it's just spiritual, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, the Bible says actually that the Holy Spirit does interact with you, but only in one way. The Holy Spirit interacts with you 
to draw you to salvation. So with kindness and gentleness, the Holy Spirit will keep kind of God questions in front of you. Maybe you've been hanging around all semester and, and you're like, I don't know, I'm just going to church. I mean, I don't know why. I, I, I like what I'm hearing. Jeff is incredibly pleasing to look at. And, and I, just, I just keep coming back to church. I'm, I'm interested in God things in ways that I've never been interested before. That's actually something spiritual. And that's the Holy Spirit looking at you and saying, listen, I love you. That's why I keep this question in front of you in ways that you've never even wrestled with it before because I want you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're in that chair, what the Bible says is called for for you is repentance of sin. So repentance is a Bible word. All it means is to turn around. That's all it means. I repent, I turn around. I've been walking away from God, living independently. I'm going to repent. I'm gonna walk to God. I'm gonna ask for the forgiveness of my sin, confess my sins receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to place my life under the definition and the direction of Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. And if that's you, and that's where God has you, and you feel right now that you're the only person in the room and I'm talking to you, you think I'm looking at you right now? That's the Holy Spirit of God pulling on your heart because he wants you to come home. He wants you to be a follower of Jesus. So I encourage you, if that's you, to ask for Christ's forgiveness, to receive God's love, to put your life under his definition and direction. Don't worry about the words. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you mean. But from your heart to God's heart, you can pray that prayer, okay? Obedience, being led, repentance. This is all how God loves us, right? And then he looks at his people and says, I want you guys to be like that. I want out, you see the world differently. You're, you're not supposed to fit in. It's not the right or the left. It's, it's the way of Jesus. Live differently. Yeah, it shows up different because we're motivated by different things. We have different goals. And then love differently. I want the hallmark of my people to be their love, right? Doesn't mean we agree. It means that even in that disagreement, even when you're out to get us, you will always be loved by us, and God will empower that through his spirit, okay? All right. The band's gonna come out. They're gonna create a little space for us to pray and to thank. I encourage you to take advantage of that and just be with God a little bit, whatever chair you're in or if you have a different one. Spend time with God and respond to him, okay? Jesus, help us with this. Help us to, to know your word and respond to your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help us to understand where you would have us right now, how you would have us to apply the word of God. God, if we need to receive salvation, Holy Spirit, I pray that your, your pull on that person's heart will be so strong that it's irresistible. Father, wherever we're at, thank you for helping us. Thank you for meeting us. And help us, God, to love differently the way that we've been loved. Press into us even now in these still moments, Jesus, in your name, amen.